Guys, we are going to be in John 12, uh, 37 through 50. Uh, if you guys want to turn there, um, before we even kick off, I just want to pray for us, right? Uh, pray for us. Um, Father, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. There is nothing I can do today. Um, I can't do anything. You're the God. You're the ruler. You're the one who raises people from the dead. So I pray today that we would look at you and see you and have hope in you and trust in you and that we wouldn't just be Sunday as usual. It is a miraculous thing that we can gather in a free country and proclaim Jesus Christ here from a stage in a room with electricity and heat. We have donuts and coffee, a time of prayer and fellowship. Father, be with the men and women in this room. Open up your ear, open up their ears, open up their eyes. Let us see. Let us not be hardened by this word, but be softened. Pray that everyone would hear and leave transformed today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we must understand where we're at in this story. We must understand that we are at the end of Jesus' public ministry, and it adds weight to what he is about to say. Jesus is wrapping up his public ministry, and he spent years teaching, proclaiming, and healing many people. He has to go to many towns, and he tells the world who he is and what he has set out to accomplish. We find out that his hour is now here. He is moving towards the reason that he came. And the reason that he came to this earth was the death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin and the glory of God. That's why Jesus Christ came. This is Jesus' last public discourse. This is the last bit of what he has to say to the unbelieving Jews. The next time he will speak in front of public, he will be on the executioner block where the whole town is saying, crucify, crucify, crucify. Then he's going to get nailed on the cross and die for the sins of his people. And that's the last time he's going to speak publicly in this. So we have three points for this section. You see, the, the light is among you. I'm going to be going back from last week, touching a little bit on what David touched on last week. The light is among you, and we will see how when Jesus is here, God is here. We have direction, we have hope, we have life. And then the light departs. We will see that this light, who is Jesus, departing. We will see how people will be unbelieving. They will have an unbelieving heart. It's going to be hardened by the refusing to accept the light. And this fulfills God's purposes on how the people in darkness value the glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes from God. And then we will see the light crying out. Finally, we see Jesus cry out publicly one last time, saying the summary of all his teachings from John 1 all the way to John 12. And this summary is to believe in Jesus, is to believe in God, so if you see Jesus, you see God. If you have the light, you will avoid darkness. And when you hear and accept Jesus' words, what happens then? We find out that you will be saved. 
you hear and accept Jesus' words as God's words, and you will have eternal life. So this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. The light is among you. So Jesus says this. We, we're going to actually be in John 12, 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk in the light while you have the light. Let darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. 34 through 36, that's what it says. So the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk in the light. Jesus is saying trust in him, believe in him, or what's going to happen? You are going to walk in darkness and darkness will overtake you. The more you're resistant to the words of Jesus, the harder you will become. The more resistant to the words of Jesus, the harder your heart will become. The more you refuse to be softened by Jesus' words, the more rigid you will become. He says darkness will overtake you. So the more that you avoid the light, the more you will remain in darkness. Those are the things that happen. The one who walks in darkness says, does not see where he is going. The one who walks in darkness does not see where he is going. What happens if you don't know where you're going, if you're walking in the dark, just in a real physical sense? If you can't see what's in front of you, what is going to happen? You're bound to fall. You're prone to trip. You're prone to stumble. You're prone to get hurt. See, we weren't born with night vision naturally. We're not designed to walk in darkness. It's not good for you, and it is absolutely dangerous to walk in darkness. So Jesus, being the light of the world, knows what he's talking about. He's the one who created us. This is why he says, follow me. Trust in me. You weren't designed to walk any other way. And notice, it isn't just about walking alone either. It's about walking together. What does he say in this section? He says, if you have the light, believe in the light. For what reason? That you may become sons of light. So not only do you gain light, which is good for walking, you gain a community which is good for life. We're not designed to walk alone. He says you become sons and daughters of light. It's plural. Sons of light. Implying that there's more than one. And if there are sons and there's a father, if there's a father, then we have siblings. And if we have siblings, we have a family. Together. Not alone. So if we are part of Jesus' family, we can trust in him. Know that when you are in the light, things have form, right? Things have substance. You can see clearly. Right now, if I turn the lights off in this room, there would be problems trying to navigate. 
This is very simple for us in our day-to-day. We understand that if we want to get from point A to point B in the room or the kitchen, we turn on the light and we can get there. The same thing is true in a spiritual sense. We do not know where we're going if we're walking in darkness. Think about children for a moment. Think about those who are afraid of the dark. It isn't the dark necessarily that they are afraid of, but it is what they perceive is in the room, right? An odd coat sitting on a shelf may look like a monster. Or a flashing light on a smoke detector may be a strange bug. Things in the dark get misidentified. Jesus is trying to protect his people from misidentification of things. This is what's going to happen when we walk in darkness. We can talk about good things and then we twist them. We can take a job and it becomes an identity. We can take food and it becomes gluttony. We can take the created things and make them our God. This is idolatry. This is spiritual adultery. This is slavery. This is sin. The misidentification can happen on two fronts in the darkness. We may take things that are good, right, and make them God, something that we worship, Or we can take things that are bad and say that they're good. So without the light, we can trade the truth of God for lies. The light is so important. Paul talks about this in the first chapter of Romans. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts and into impurity and dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In the darkness, we are bound to fall. We are bound to fail. Jesus says, I'm the one who gives true form and true meaning. I'm the one who created all this. I'm the true reason you are even here. If you do not have me as light, you will not see correctly. Things will be misidentified. And this is the judgment that happens to people. In verse 26 of Romans, it says, for this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. This is what happens when light departs. We're going to keep going in John, verse 36. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed that he heard from us? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. 
I hear a certain formula my day in and day out while I'm here on Parsons Avenue. God, if you show me X, then I will do Y. God, if you are real, show yourself in this way. And if you do this sign, I will believe in you. Here's the thing. You're not going to. These men have seen signs. They were hardened. Verse 37, though he had done many signs before them, yet they still did not believe in him. These people saw amazing miracles. Didn't matter. The people do not care about the miracles because their hearts were hardened by the message. People do not care about the miracles because their hearts were hardened by the message. A few sermons back, we were talking about the heart of the gospel. If you guys remember that, we were going through a very famous section, John 3.16. We kept coming back and we were memorizing it. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? That's important. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Pay attention to this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love their darkness. They love their darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that he may be clearly seen his works have been carried out by God. What is this? What does this mean? We've heard John 3.16 so many times. You see it on bumper stickers. You see it on professional wrestling. Uh, What is that? Crowds. Here's the reality. Everyone stands condemned, and the only light that frees you from condemnation is Jesus Christ. And people refuse. Why do they refuse? Two reasons. One, they love their darkness. Two, they don't want sin to be exposed. Those are the reasons why you don't come to the light. So these signs didn't soften people. They hated this Messiah's message. Everything shifts in the second, this section. Remember, this is the same chapter where Jesus comes into the village. Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, Lord, palm branches coming in. The king of glory. What changed? What changed? A king coming into the city to take the throne from the oppressive Romans. And then in verse 34, it said, the crowds answer him, we heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? What do you mean the son of man's going to die? What do you mean? I thought you were going to overthrow the Romans. I thought we were going to finally be free. They hated the idea of a suffering savior. They wanted the ruling king. The second they found out that Isaiah 53 was talking about Jesus, they didn't want anything to do with him. John does an amazing thing here in this section. And it's important for us to understand as we're reading text, what are they talking about? John talks about another book in the Bible. Two sections from Isaiah, right? So Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book during the time of exile. The first one is found in Isaiah 53, 12. This section is known as the suffering servant song. The idea that the 
Messiah would be hated. The Messiah would be despised. Then we have Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commissioned into ministry, and he has an amazing vision of the Lord. Both are held in tension, one of a despised man, a suffering man, one about God on the throne, high and lifted up. But they are the same God. The people are hardened in their hearts to this fact that the Son of Man should die. I'm going to read the Old Testament. We're going to go in because we have to get into the mind of first century Jews. When they read this, what is John talking about? We have to have context. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Sound familiar? For he grew up before them like a young plant, a root out of dry ground. Listen to this. He had no form or majesty that we should even look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. They're talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not. Our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the gospel written hundreds of years before Jesus took the form of a babe, died as a man. This is our king, this is our savior, this is our God. Did you see? This is not the way they wanted their Messiah to come. They didn't want him to suffer and die. They refused to believe it. They could not believe it. They wanted the God in Isaiah 6. We see a beautiful vision that Isaiah had. This is the start of his commission of ministry as a prophet. The role of the prophet was to deliver the message of God to his people. And it says this. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Mind you, these are just angels. Each had six wings. Two covered their face, two covered their feet, and two flew. They called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the fountains of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was so stricken because of his sin, being in the presence of God, he needed to have atonement. He needed to be made clean. So what happened? One of the angels flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal, has taken from the tongs of the altar, and it touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to the people, 
Keep on hearing and don't understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Make their eyes blind. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then he said, how long, Lord? How long are you going to harden these people? How long? He says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses are without people. What a commission to ministry that is. So what's going on here? God commissions Isaiah to talk, to be a prophet to his people. And God says, they're not going to hear you. They're not going to understand. They will not respond. God is fed up with the people in Isaiah's generation. If you want to read that, read Isaiah 1 through 5. So he sends them a prophet and they won't listen. They refuse to listen. Not only that, they're also hardened. They wouldn't listen. They couldn't listen. Believe it or not, it's a good thing that these people were hardened. It's a good thing that in Jesus' time, those people were hardened as well. Because Jesus, the Messiah, would not have gone to the cross. They would not have wanted to kill him. If he doesn't die on the cross, our sins are not atoned for. Without the suffering servant, we don't get to see God the way that Isaiah does. Remember what is said in Isaiah. Surely he's born our grief. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The path to the crown has always been through the cross. If Christ did not go to the cross, then sin was never satisfied and we are still standing condemned. Even the authorities, they even looked like they were softening, but they weren't. Verse 42 says, nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him, but out of fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Let us not be that. They did not confess it so that they could not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the root cause of sin. You ready? It's yourself. It's your flesh. And that might be a hard word. We can't just blame God for the hardening here. It is human accountability. John 3 says that people love their darkness. They didn't want to be exposed. And what is clear that people would not love and serve Jesus because they love the glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes from God. That's it. Understand this, that no one leaves Jesus the same way. That's the reality of the word of God that is spoken here. Know this as you are listening to this sermon, taking in these words. No one leaves the same way. Once you're exposed to this, you're either softened towards God or you're hardened. You're never the same. In the last section is a summary statement of Jesus' entire public ministry. The light cries out. Verse 44 says, and, and Jesus cried out. He said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me does not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. 
And the words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me. He has himself given me this commandment. What to say and what to speak. What I know is that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say the Father has told me. I could spend four days talking about this section of text. I'm going to summarize it real quick because I want to point out two things. So I'm going to summarize this text. This is what it is. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. Where do we see that? Verse 44, right? Let's go. He says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me, right? So to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. So verse 45, it says, it's to see God. Verse 45, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. So if you see Jesus, you see God. You see God, you see Jesus, right? Verse 46, I've come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So to know Jesus is to avoid darkness. Second point in this section is to hear and accept Jesus' words is to be saved. Verse 47 says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not judge the world, but come to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. He's God in flesh. The one who created this all, sustains this all, holds this all together. Trust in him, believe in him. He has come to save this world. To hear and accept God's words is to hear and accept Jesus' words. They're one and the same. We see this in verse 49 and 40 and 50. For I do not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me this commandment. Right? what to say and what to speak. Everything Jesus says throughout the Gospels, if you read what Jesus says, you see what God says. And finally, it's to have eternal life. Verse 50. And know that this is the commandment, is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the summary of 12 chapters of Jesus' public ministry. This is the summary of Jesus' ministry. To hear Jesus' words, to accept them, is to be saved and have eternal life. And eternal life now. That Jesus, God in flesh, he's going to the cross, suffering servant, will be raised. He's the king on the throne, taking the two sections of Isaiah. The prophet who saw the glory of God. Jesus is the light that illuminates our path. He is the way to eternal life. This is the chief end of man. This is why we were created. You might not like it. You might want to buck the system. You are being hardened if you take that position. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. That's it. That apart from Christ, you're apart from light. You will see things improperly. I've said this week after week after week after week after week, and I will say it week after week after week after week. But two things I have to zoom in on. Jesus cried out, and whoever believes. Those two things. Jesus cried out. Jesus cried out. Jesus cried out. I was reading this last night, 
And I was so moved by the fact that Jesus cries out. That might be why I'm a little bit loud today. That he, our Savior, is not silent on matters of salvation. He cries out. To cry out is to shout and express deep emotion. He cries out these deep truths about his character, about his nature, about who he is, what he came to do. If God who created us says this is the most important thing that you need to know, that this is for your good, this is for you to have joy, uh, let's take hold of what he says. last bit of what Jesus wants to do in his public ministry is he reveals who he is. Not what you guys have to do. Not what needs to be done. Who Jesus is. That's what he reveals. That is the most important thing to our Savior. We have been sold a bill of goods for so long that Christianity is about performance it's about Christ, knowing him and enjoying him. John makes it exceedingly clear that in this book, what is the complete essence of eternal life? What is eternal life? It's not just this idea that we're this disembodied spirit floating around playing a harp on a cloud. That is false. That is not what heaven is. Eternal life is that you know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's being in the presence of God. You can get heaven, but if you don't have Jesus, you've missed the point. This is of utmost importance to Jesus. He wants us to know, how do we handle the things of God? What do we see in his character and nature? What about us? Are we silent? on the matters of salvation? Are we whispering? Are we cold when it comes to the fact that God has put on flesh to come redeem his people? Day in and day out, I see brokenness and heartache and disappointment and the effects of the fall Day in and day out. But I have a Savior who is king, who is good, who is going to redeem and restore all things, who I can talk to right now and have access to his spirit today. I am not alone. I am not lost. I am not forgotten. I am not forsaken. I have a family and fellowship. I am not an orphan any longer. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting people to show up and tithe money or wear a cool shirt or post this on Instagram. 
We're talking about the King of kings, Lord of lords, who came to enter into the pain of his creation to offer them salvation and redemption. Are we cold about the things of God? Do we get excited about the news? Does it move us? The fact that he has borne our griefs, that he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That he was pierced for our transgressions, what we did. This is a problem in our day and age. We think we're completely guilt-free in the matters of sin. When we're actively treasonous and rebelling against God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I heard a brother this morning talking about things that he's done in his past. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions, not his own. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, his wounds, we are healed. And like sheep, we all gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Does that move you to thankfulness for who God is? Evangelism isn't a chore, it's an overflow. You can talk about the movies that you watch and the people that you're hanging out with and the new thing on Netflix. You can talk about this. Does it move you to thankfulness? Not only was he stricken, smitten, and afflicted, but he's a Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was the temple. Angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. When he speaks, the foundations of the earth tremble. That God makes his residence inside us. So what does Jesus do in his last public ministry, his last cry out? What does he say? He's letting people know that the way to true peace, true joy, true life, he cries it out. He's not silent. He says, it's me. It's always been me, and it's always will be me. How much more should we be vocal of our saviors and his plans for us? Am I deeply moved by the nature and character of God? Am I moved to the point of crying out, or am I silent? Remember, you are either softened today, or you're hardened. That's the reality. And there is no middle ground. And if you are softened today, do not let today pass without trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior. The religious elite sat down and they were afraid of men and they died in their sins. Because the second part, yes, there was a second part to all that that I wanted to talk about is whoever believes. So one, Jesus cries out and then he says, whoever believes, whoever. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you're hearing these words, you're either softened or hardened. You're either rejecting the light or accepting the light. You're either running further away or you're running closer. You either see and hear or you do not understand. 
the Lord will give you over. Keep hardening, keep rejecting, keep saying, I don't want it. He'll give you exactly what you asked for. But if you hear the words that I'm saying today, turn from your sin. Turn from it. Because there is grace and mercy and a family here waiting. So know this, that Jesus at the end of his uh, public ministry, he cries out, letting everyone know who he is. doesn't matter your race, age, even the sins in your background that you have committed, how heinous they might have been. He is God in flesh. Whomever believes, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever sees Jesus sees God. I want to end this time just praying and crying out like our Savior cried out. We can't walk in darkness. We weren't destined to walk in darkness. We need to trust in the Savior who is seated on the throne. Jesus, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. You're the God of all creation. Father, I pray that there is softening happening in this room because there is nothing I can say that transforms people from life to death. It is a move by you. It is by your spirit. And I pray that nobody would leave Today, without accepting you as king, you as God, you as savior. Father, I pray that we would be excited. We'd be hopeful. We'd be grace-filled. Father, thank you. Thank you for these men and women. I pray that you have softened us and transformed us. In Jesus' name, amen.